from Luke 19 uh, that I pray will be a blessing to us about Jesus and Zacchaeus as we go through this track on studying the life of Jesus. This is a great encounter, and I pray that it is a blessing to you. I'm only going to make three quick points, and then Bakara is going to sing, and we'll be done. Luke 19, from the English Standard Version, sorry, Rosie, says the following. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This is Jesus. And there was a, na a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Let me just say one quick thing about that before I go ahead. Jericho was a major, major city in this area at this time. I, I actually equate Jericho to Miami, Florida. It was on the coast. There were palm trees. It was warm. It was highly sought after. It was a high vacation spot, popular vacation spot. Jericho was also where there was a lot of wealthy people because it was a coastal city, a lot of shipping, a lot of commerce. So this was a hot spot. It was a great spot. Listen, it was a great spot to be a tax collector because they taxed everything. Listen, they taxed how many wheels you had on your cart. They taxed the cart itself and the pony and the horse that pulled the cart. So they were, we think things are tough today. They were tax crazy in the first century. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That designation means that he was over all the other tax collectors. So by the way, this is essentially a cartel of tax collectors. You got, you got this dude named Zacchaeus, who, by the way, his name in Hebrew means pure, righteous, go figure. You got this cat named Zacchaeus, who's the head of the IRS for the city of Jericho. And he has, you know, maybe dozens of guys working for him, and they're all getting a piece of the action. This is a pyramid scheme. So here's how it works. Say your taxes, and by the way, this is a rude, crude example because they tax on multiple things. But let's just say it was a poll tax or a property tax, and your tax was $100 a year. That's what the Roman government charges you to own property. That money goes to the emperor back in Rome. These tax collectors, the way they worked is they would bid on a city to be the tax collector for. It was basically you, you put in a proposal and you bought a franchise to be a tax collector. So you buy the franchise from the Roman Empire. They give you that territory, say it's Jericho, and you own that franchise. No one else can collect taxes in your territory. So what happened is, is that Zacchaeus bought this franchise for Jericho, hired other under tax collectors under him, and the way it works is everybody, say, has to pay $100 for their taxes per year for their property. Well, anything that you want to collect above 100 bucks is yours to keep. So the person who's paying the tax, and here's the other thing, there was no internet, no television, no radio, no newspaper. You had no idea as a homeowner what your taxes should be. You don't really know what Rome is assessing you. All you know is when this tax collector who is backed by the Roman government, usually accompanied by uh, a centurion or a, or a guard or soldiers of, of a particular cohort, you don't know what your taxes are. He comes to your door and say, hey, it's time for you to pay your taxes. That'll be $400. Well, you don't know all Rome needs is 100 The other 300 goes to Zacchaeus. 
And he had maybe a dozen guys doing this all around Jericho, one of the richest cities in Israel. And so the Bible says, and he was rich. So I did some research on what rich constituted. Rich constituted anything from owning multiple homes to owning multiple hundreds or thousands of acres of property. Whatever he was, he was so rich that he was despised by everyone. Even some of the Romans didn't like tax collectors. They liked the money they brought in, but they didn't necessarily like the people themselves. These were low-life people. These were traitors. Some of them were considered sellouts, pariahs. They were the scum of the earth. Matter of fact, I was going to bring this, but I thought I'll be up here too long, and I'm trying to stay under a half an hour. I, I, I saw this chart. I did this research specifically to try to get the pecking order of how the Jews considered certain people in their society in the first century, where they ranked in terms of how they were re either regarded or disregarded. And tax collectors were down with Gentiles, which were considered really anathema, Gentiles and Samaritans, they really, really hated Samaritans because they were considered half-breeds, okay? So the point I'm making is that there's various levels of, of, of rank in terms of their caste system. Tax collectors were at the bottom, and they were still Jews stealing from other Jews. But let me just say this before I go on. Jesus, even with that, talk about merciful and kindness when Jesus never told them to abandon their post or their job, if you were a tax collector, Jesus said, let him tax and collect fairly. A tax, even a tax collector was not beyond redemption. A tax collector could be saved and a tax collector could be honest and only tax the proper amount, maybe $100 for the Roman government and maybe $5 for his time and effort to go and collect the taxes and process it. A fair amount. Jesus granted that. So the occupation itself wasn't the horrible thing that it's been made out to be. There were unscrupulous people that took advantage of the system and taxed exorbitant amounts, but you could tax a fair amount. Jesus himself paid taxes. There's nothing wrong with taxation. What's wrong is dishonest taxation, excessive taxation. Amen? I wanted to point that out so that you guys wouldn't think that just the IRS or just taxation in and of itself is evil. Romans 13, Romans 13 tells us that the government is, a, is, a, a, is an extension of God's work on earth. God uses the government. They're part of, of his purpose and they're part of his design in terms of management so we are to honor the government and we are to respect the government we are to render unto caesar what is caesar's amen, amen. okay so let me just finish this and i'll let you guys go so luke 19 chapter 3 chapter 19 verse 3 says zacchaeus was seeking to see who jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature Big crowd, small man. He couldn't see through them because there was so many of them. And he couldn't see over them because he was so short. So he became creative.
The Bible says in verse 4 of Luke 19, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, which is basically a fig tree with really strong branches and low-hanging branches, so even a little guy could get up in there. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see, for he was about to see, to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, verse 5, Luke 19, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And they said, for he has gone in to be with the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, this is that Zacchaeus home. Behold, he said, Lord, he said, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For, this is the last verse, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Three quick points on this. Three things that we can learn and take away this morning. This it's still morning. That we can take away this morning that we can learn from the encounter of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Here's point number one. Ready? Number one, there is no one that is beyond saving. Everybody is worth saving. Everybody is valuable to God. Amen. The Bible says that the shepherd left the 90 and nine and went after the one sheep. The Bible says in Luke 15 that the person combed the house looking for the one coin. Amen. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice more over the salvation of one soul, one sinner that needs to be saved than 99 that don't need to be saved. Everybody is valuable and matter to God. We're all, we're all valuable. We're all important. The sinner, the drunk, the liar, the cheater, the politician that's crooked, the cop that's crooked, the prostitute, the pimp, we're all able, eligible to be saved according to the Lord. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you look at the King James Version, it says that which was lost. Other versions will say those who were lost. However you look at it, the Lord came for those that which was lost so that he could redeem them. He went to a guy and he caught a lot of criticism for it. And I think that's a good example for us that don't let the crowd determine who you are. Don't become persuaded by the crowd where we just follow everything that's status quo. We have to be woke. We have to be hip. We have to be cool. We can't go upstream. You must realize that being a believer means you're going to be polarizing. You're going to create people, enemies and people that have difference of opinions. Jesus did not let that get him down. So I, I, put in, I put in my notes here, I said that, that, that God has to seek us because ordinarily we would not seek him. 
You say, but Pastor Will, I think, you know, there might be some differences here because didn't some people come to Jesus? Well, they came to him, but they were drawn by him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteousness. No, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. And watch this. No one seeks for God. Let me repeat it just in case you weren't listening. No one seeks God. It goes on to say that uh, all of us have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says to me that we don't have the internal capacity to seek him, but he draws us according to John 14, 6. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're drawn by him. If I be lifted up in the earth, he goes on to say, I will draw, I will pull, I will attract, I will capture all men unto me. The Lord draws us. Something happened in Zacchaeus. He heard about Jesus. He heard about a miracle. He heard about something that gave him this amazing, overwhelming curiosity to the extent that an older man would depart from dignity, would abandon a protocol and climb a tree. That just wasn't heard of. Respectable men in the community did not climb trees, especially to see another man. Something went on with Zacchaeus that, that brought him to this point where he wanted to see Jesus. When I see that word must, I look at these are compelling words. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. Uh, in John 4, it said Jesus must go through Samaria. I, I, I see these words as being imperatives, compelling words, words of urgency, words that require a response. And so Jesus is walking. He looks up at just the right spot. How he saw Zacchaeus could be even a miracle in and of itself. And he calls him by name, a man ostensibly that he's never met. So wonder Zacchaeus didn't just fall out of the tree, that Jesus would call him by name, you know, just out of the blue. But, but he, he calls him and he says, I must stay at your house today. I made another note that I thought was important. I looked at some of the words that's used there, urgency words like must, today, hurry, come down. You know, these compelling words that just, to me, created a sense of urgency in Zacchaeus that I, he wanted to be saved. He really wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to know Jesus. And that kind of convicted me because I'm thinking like, what is our drive? What is our passion toward him? Do we really want to be in his presence that much? Do we really have that same magnetism, that same necessity, that same must, that same need to, I need to be in the Lord's presence. I need to see Jesus. I need to spend time with him. I need to be with him. I need to hear from him. I need to be touched by him. I need to fellowship him I, with him. I need to worship him. I need to praise him. Just this sense of, Lord, I can't go a day. I can't go a week. I can't go an hour without thinking about you, without saying thank you, without showing some sense sense of gratitude, some sense of appreciation, some sense of purpose that you are a difference in my life. I, I love that about Zacchaeus. I love this, this. I'm just meeting this guy and I'm just saying this is admirable already. Just the fact that he realizes that he needs 
to be with Jesus. He needs to spend time with Jesus. He needs to unburden himself of a life of crime, a life of theft, a life of deceit, a life of brutality, possibly a life of violence, a life of stealing, defrauding people, cheating people, lying to people, perhaps even imprisoning people that couldn't make the tax payment. This guy is just, he has to be just overwhelmed with guilt and, and, and conviction that he's lived such a horrible life to the extent that he would climb a tree. And I don't even know if he had any idea that Jesus was going to ask to come to his house. Because I looked throughout the New Testament. I couldn't find anywhere else where Jesus invited himself to somebody's house. Now, he was invited to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. He was invited to other homes. But I can't see where Jesus said, no, you, I must go to your house today. <laughs> I was going to say, dude, I don't even know you. <laughs> but no, he didn't. The Bible says that he hurried down and received him dwelling. That's my second to third point, second to last point, and that is live life with joyful purpose. Don't be a joyless Christian. There's so many of us. The Bible says in verse uh, 6 of Luke 19, so he hurried down and came and received him joyfully. And, and I, I, I got hung up on that because I thought he's receiving him joyfully. He doesn't even know what Jesus is going to say to him. I guess he didn't care if Jesus drags me across the coal and beats me up and down for being such a bad person. I probably deserve it. I do deserve it. But the Bible says that he received him joyfully. And that word stuck with me because it reminded me of Acts 17, 11 where it says that the saints at Berea were more noble-minded because of what? Here's the key word. They received the word eagerly. That word joyful, that word joyful is another synonym for eagerly, it, with energy, with receptivity, with passion, with joy. I, you know, Nehemiah said it best over in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verse 11, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is not a time for sadness. This is not a time to mourn. It's a time for celebration. Jesus called my name and he said, I got to go to your house and dine with you. This was a time for joy. The Lord has come into our life. He is dining with us. Rick sang a song a few weeks ago about the Lord dining with us, about dining with him. That is a joyful occasion. It's a time for celebration. It's a time for happiness. It's a time for just being uh, thankful and grateful. And I think Zacharias, I mean, not Zacharias, Zacchaeus just shows an amazing amount of joy and eagerness. And, and I love how David puts it. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. I'm quoting Psalms 100. I, I look at all those words, singing, gladness, joyful, celebration. And so many Christians, so many of us, we walk around, we're so sour we're so dour. We're so down. We're so just, you know, blase. There's no life. There's no joy. There's no spark. There's no energy. We act like being a Christian is such a drag. We act like being a Christian is like, well, yeah, I'm saved. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. 
guilty as charged. I mean, I mean, we should be as believers, listen, as believers, as disciples, as Christians, there should be just a joy in us. It doesn't, listen, listen, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that we're always walking around like we've had too much coffee. I'm not saying that we're bouncing off the wall, but there should just be a pep in our step. There should be lightness in our voice. There should be a spark or a twinkle in our eyes. There should be something that just says, I am happy to be in this lifestyle. I love what I do. I love who I serve. I love who I am. I love who I, re I re report to. There's just something about that. Amen. I am not sad that I'm a Christian. I do not regret that I made the decision to follow Jesus. I am so thankful that he called my name. He said, I wasn't up a tree, but he said, Willie, get down here. <laughs> he said, I need to hang out with you, dude. I need to talk to you. Will, come here now. He called your name. Well, he called most of y'all's names, but he called you. <laughs> no, but he called your name. He singled you out. He sought you. He looked for you. Some of us might have been hiding in a tree. Some of us might have been hiding in a bar. Some of us might have been hiding in a club. Some of us might have been hiding in a field. Some of us may be hiding in different places of life. But God will find us, and he found you. Hmm. my last point my last point and that is when I look at Zacchaeus I see proof of his conversion the Bible says that Zacchaeus stood up I found out in looking at some Jewish literature primarily from guys like Josephus Alfred Edershine others that write about Jewish history they said when you're at a dinner table in a Jewish home in the first century, that when the host stood up, it was kind of like he would tap a glass. They didn't have that, but you know, like we do today, I got an announcement. I like to say something. He stood up and said, may I have everybody's attention? I don't know what Jesus had said to him, but Zacchaeus said, behold, Lord, behold means look, or I have an announcement to make, or may I have your attention? Hey, everybody, the half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor. He was not obligated to do that. He did it because he realized that money is not important anymore. Being super wealthy is not the most important thing in life. He said, if I defrauded anyone, and by the way, I looked up the Greek grammar in that particular sentence and the way it's constructed it would be better rendered, and since I've defrauded others. See, he wasn't trying to weasel his way out. He was really trying to say, hey, I'm owning this. Since I've defrauded others, I'm not even going to give them back what the law says. If you read Exodus 22, it gives you what the law says about if you steal something from a neighbor or if you take something from a neighbor, what the restitution is. It says it's fourfold if the, if the animal died. It's twofold if you can return what you stole from the person plus add a fifth. But it gives very specific instructions about how you're to reconcile a person for theft.
or for loss. This guy named Zacchaeus went way beyond what was required of him. He said, number one, I'm giving away half of my money. And number two, everyone I defrauded, everyone me or my guys cheated. I'm going to give them back four times. That's 400% of what I took. He didn't have to do that. He did it because he was totally converted and he was saved and he wasn't trying to walk some line. He wasn't trying to keep score. He wasn't trying to equivocate or justify or weasel out of his responsibility. He recognized that something has happened to me so great that I am not going to quibble over details. If I cheated you, I'm giving you all you I owe you and then some. And if you need more, call me. I got you. <laughs> As a person that's been saved. Yes, yes, yes. The Monday morning moment. We thank you, Lord. Jesus demands more than a change of words. He demands a change of life. I'll say it again. Jesus demands more than a change of words, but a change of life. God bless you. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.